Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast, now 100% featuring 100% more Steve. Yay. I mean, hopefully they're more excited than you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I get at least that response at home. That's true. I I don't know about that. That's the place to go for it. Um, are you recovered from your bout with quantum mania? I uh, <laughs> I'm not sure yet. I'm going to see the doctor tomorrow. There you go. Is the doctor Modoc? I hope not. We'll talk about it later. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Ant Man because Miles has now seen it. Steve saw it when I saw it, but he hadn't been on. I have uh, an MCU related query for everyone, but. We have awards talk because BAFTA happened, the DGAs happened, and we're days away from PGA and SAG, which will kind of set the stage for the end of the season. But there's other things to do. Also, we're trying to make this a short episode. And I only say that because when we inevitably fail, I want the record for whoever is paying attention to that. Um, So yeah, Steve is here and Miles, as always, is here. Yeah, I'm very excited to see our hubris sort of catch on fire here as we go along. Well, as I said off air... I kind of think when Steve's on, we get a little shorter sometimes because in a weird way, he prevents us from spending 20 minutes talking about something. You know, we never know what it's going to be because it's we couldn't plan it if we tried. Well, there's always famous, famous last words. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, Well, first off, let's uh, let's bang out some love, which is also what Miles and Steve say nightly. Um, to each other, clearly. What? But, uh, I don't think either of us has ever said that to anyone. <laughs> I, I really hope it's his, it's it's at least Steve's go-to. Um, where are we at, Miles? And what do we have still to come? Because we are when we record next time, we will um, have wrapped twenty-eight days of love. Yeah, I believe so. The twenty-eighth is on a Tuesday. Yeah, we'll probably be done by then. I've already talked to Kelly about coming on and sort of, you know, doing a report card on how I did. Does she know about my plans? She, I think the two of you will coordinate something between okay. now and then. So she's more into it than you are. She she is she into some collaboration, but Excellent. half the fun of it for her was coming up with the list. So I think oh, yeah, she no, I just wanna, wants that. I just want to guide her in the direction of... Uh, I don't know. You're suffering? Not quite. You know what I mean. Not, sure. The, uh, I, I just think she's only going to go so far past her own enjoyment. Oh, no, 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 no. I will I will figure out where her line is and walk her line. Your line is relevant for this. But then course. again, as you as you learn tonight, there are there are classics you also don't necessarily care for. So who knows? Yeah, no, it's been it's been kind of a wild ride. Um, so I think uh, Sabrina was probably the last one I had watched uh, when we recorded last week. Yes, so, OG, OG Sabrina. OG Sabrina, that's right. We should have done the Harrison Ford one. Uh, I don't think it was available, or maybe not. I don't know. Or, or it can be a, it can be a uh, next, next year, year respite between uh, 27 Dresses and Leap Year. Oh, I hate you both so much. They're both going to be um, on there, you know it. I hate it. Anyway, so after Sabrina, uh, the next movie was His Girl Friday, which is an old favorite. We actually have it on Criterion. Oh, so far, sure. Um, yeah, it's just screwball comedy at its best. It's so fun. It's so sharp and fast and just 
it's one of those things where you can get mesmerized just in the verbal gymnastics between the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so big fan of that one. Uh, after that, we finally got around to The Shape of Water, which is actually one of Kelly and I's early date movies. Um, and we still love it as much now as we did then. I think it's still my... Well, I would say it was my second favorite Del Toro movie, but then Pinocchio came out. So I might get back to people on that. But Number um, one's Mimic, right? Of course. Yeah it's, yeah. it's, you know, amazing. I mean, I thought about doing Blade too, but... Uh, that the 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 rubbery the bouncy cgi fights take it out for me a little bit <clears throat> that's true that's fair uh but shape of water brilliant beautiful love it uh next up we did true romance which is probably the one where i pushed the definition of love story the most for kelly yeah um which i maintain that it is a love story at its core sure. you know everything that happens around it notwithstanding um, but that was the one where I think she so she pushed back. I think the most. Um, I, I can I, say that I I enjoy it. I think certain elements of it have not aged super well. This is the era of Quentin Tarantino's writing where he was creating a character for himself in Pulp Fiction who could say the N word over and over again. So you know, your mileage may vary on that. But I think it's uh, really cool and really fun and kind of like the Tarantino movie we never quite got in a weird way. Yeah, um, he would have made it if he had been uh, if he had been a little more famous when in, when he had uh, when this had happened. It would have been one that he would have directed for sure. And it just it, it, it almost gives you a peek into like a parallel future of what if he kind of really only made it work as a screenwriter as opposed to as a director of his own stuff. Sure, I can I can see that. I, I I do I do like that this is one of your like let me push the definition because by that it's token, got you romance could, in the title. I don't think it's sure, kind of a stretch. But I could argue and I'm not going to because I don't care for the movie. But for argument's sake, um Natural Born Killers is more of a romance than true romance. Um uh, yeah. I mean that one that one is at its core far more of a love story. I'd say they're pretty it's, it's equal. A, I don't know that uh, they're. I think, I think they're both. More at I that think one. they both. Yes, probably. I, I don't know if she's seen <laughs> that one or not. But Natural I Born Killers, it. I think, is a tougher watch. True Romance sure. has like one or two scenes that are kind of intense, but otherwise, it's pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, palatable. It was made. It was made to be a mainstream movie. I also just thought it was kind of wild that. Um, the Gary Oldman character has that troubling mid nineties trope of like white guy who thinks he's black, which we yeah. also just saw earlier in the month in 10 things I hate about you. So I don't know what that's about, but it's weird that it happened twice. It was a thing. Different actors, different actors. True. Unless yeah. Gary Oldman was going real undercover. Same decade. Don't think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, after true romance, we went real classic with when Harry met Sally. Um, you know, it's a classic. It's it's one of those things where it's like I may not like bad rom coms, but when a good one is great, it's great, and this is a great one. Yeah. And um, it's it's yeah. a template for a reason. Yeah, exactly. There's like what else can be said? It's 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 it's, it's, it's one actually, of the best versions of what it's trying to be. It's actually one of the better versions for knockoffs too, because it's not hard to make an at least acceptable version of that story. It's almost hard to make a bad version. Yeah. Well, it's, it, as as we've seen in the years since, yeah. I mean, many. Uh, I mean, that is 
I, I would argue, and I don't have the science behind this one because I don't feel like doing the research, but I think it is the premise that is most successfully copied. The, the, the romance involving people who are going to be friends first for right. one reason or another. You know, I think Sleeping With Other People is one of the best rom-coms we've had in the last however many years. And that's very much, very When Harry Met Sally. It's just a little dirtier and more modern, but it is very much the premise. Sure. You know, they, they, they work when done with any semblance of competency because it's, it, it, I think you get more of the calm with that because of the, the razzing that they will inevitably do with each other. You know, as you see with some of the more Rami rom-coms, it's about finding the, like, hiccups to their happy ending. Yeah, very to, much so. You know, When Harry Met Sally feels pretty... I don't want to say realistic necessarily, but it kind of follows the path of how they would get together without a, a real high-concept hijink. You know, Sleepless in Seattle is great. No, it, it it, it's not hijink. trying too hard to be, like, plot-driven. It's just, like, it lets the characters kind of find their way there organically. Sure. Uh, so after that one, we went with a classic. This one is one I had never seen before, is Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, You're not massively into... into um, Richard Curtis. I'm Richard not Curtis, at all right? into Richard Curtis, no. Exactly. Um, I, I like Pirate Radio. I like Bridget Jones, but I really can't stand Notting Hill. And I think I've seen one or two others that I'm not into. Did you see About Time? Uh, no. That should be on the list next year. It's yeah. actually good. Yeah, I've heard it's good. Um, this one, it, I'm somewhere in the middle on. I didn't dislike it. It wasn't an unenjoyable experience. There's some funny moments in it for sure. You know, Hugh Grant's doing his Hugh Grant thing. But yeah, it's, um, it's peak. It's peak him it's, doing his it's thing. It's peak rom-com Hugh Grant for sure. Um, I don't know, man. It's just not for me. Like, I, I, it's one of those movies that I feel like there's not much for me to say about it because I'm just not the target audience in any way, shape or form. Sure. And how do you feel watching it knowing that it was the other nominee for best picture besides the, the three all timers in quiz show? Yeah, that, that did occur to me from time to time (laughs) that you're like, they, they consider this equal to Pulp Fiction, the Shawshank Redemption and, and Forrest Gump. Yeah, I, mm, I mean, you know, Maybe it was a top-heavy year. Who's to say? Oh, I mean, it only got the two nominations. It got that, and it got uh, original screenplay, which it lost. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. It's not It's not a bad movie. It's doing exactly what it's trying to do, but just not my cup of tea. I'm guessing Kelly loved it. Um, I think she liked it. I don't know that she was crazy about it. It's not my favorite. I like I like Richard Curtis more than you do, and I like I like that era of Hugh Grant. He's like, oh shucks, I'm just so very charming. Um, but yeah, it's it there. I don't I don't know if it's missing something is the right word I want to use. But if you watch it after it's already been a Best Picture nominee, I think you kind of look at it being like, well, why? And I don't yeah. know that we ever get a, a why. No, there's no like extra something to it that that makes it that cut above. It's just kind of. This is, you know, a rom-com centered around weddings and one funeral. Yep, that's accurate. Yep. It it, tell, it very much does not bury the lead. No. Yeah. Uh, the one after that uh, was uh, much more back on track. Now we're getting into the territory of stuff I'm really enjoying. 
Charlie Chaplin's City Lights. Nice. And uh, this is a movie that for years I thought I had seen. Um, but it turned out what has happened is that I've seen so many clips and sequences from various Chaplin movies over the years that sure. I don't necessarily know what goes with what. Um, so I've seen like, you know, some imagery from this, but for the most part, the only part of it I'd ever watched before was the boxing match, which I had watched in its entirety, uh, okay. which is an incredible sequence. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's top form Chaplin. It's exactly, it's him doing his thing. I was really interested reading the behind the scenes after because this came like quite a few years after the jazz singer and like sound was already a thing, but he didn't want to commit to that. He wanted to stick to the kind of, you know, dialogue free or, you know, dialogue implied um, style of pantomime that he'd done with his earlier stuff, but he still made use of the soundtrack for like an original score or for like certain sound gags. So it's this kind of fascinating it, it, it exists somewhere in between silent films and talkies in, in this kind of really interesting way. Yeah, it's um, not until Great Dictator that he does a, a full That he goes talkie. full di- uh, dialogue, yeah. So, um, no, I thought that was really interesting. But it's also just, it's so much fun and it's so charming and it's so easy to get swept up in just the cinematic language of it. So Oh, there's a reason he's, there's a reason that, that his work has stood the test of time. Oh, yeah. No, one of the greats. It's, yeah. So that's been a major highlight of the month. And then uh, the only other one is the one I finished uh, before we started recording tonight, which is It Happened One Night. Uh, Best Picture winner, 34, I want to say? Somewhere in that neighborhood? Mm, I believe so. I think it came out in 34. So came out in 34, the... so one in 35. Yeah, exactly. Um kind of four weddings territory again like it's fine it's doing what it's doing i didn't Seventh dislike Academy it award yeah i mean it's fine <laughs> i don't well, I, mean, I don't have a lot to say about this one either because it's just i'm i'm not the audience for it and it's it does that thing that i really don't like in older romantic films which is where a lot of the times the guys being romantic tends to translate to them being like manipulative and aggressive and nasty and rude and just kind of like doing that like macho thing and like some of the smarter ones sort of deflate that or push against it but you still see it a lot and this is one in particular clark gable is just kind of like super nasty to her the whole movie and that's like oh i love you and it's like yeah it's the same way that uh the same way that like james bond had to get past the like he's kind of He's kind of rapey. Like, why do they like that he's kind of rapey? Yeah, and they yeah. Wean especially... themselves off of that, but like Connery, especially, was like, "I'm gonna kiss you until you are no longer not okay with me kissing you." Yeah, I think uh, that's just something I've noticed. Me as a viewer, like, I can't just like casually watch that in my movies anymore. I see it, and it, and it does kind of like rub me the wrong way. Yeah, so it would it would uh, it was noticeable. So, uh, here. Yeah. Um, the other nominees for Outstanding Production at that Academy Award, the 7th Academy Awards. The year, by the way, there were three nominees for Best Director and Actor. And four Curious. for Actress. And they, they really just kind of went with, like, here's how many we're doing. Um, it happened when I beat The Barretts of Wimpole Street. You know, that classic. Mm, love it. Um, I wish it, it'd be funny if you're like, yeah, it's my mom's other favorite movie. Um, Cleopatra. 
I love that if you look at the nominees, you know, the the credited producers who are nominated at this, you know, for Barrett, it's Irving Thalberg. For next nominee, Cleopatra, it's Cecil B. DeMille. For Flirtation Walk, it's Jack Warner. It's just all the names things are named for. The Gay Divorcee, Here Comes the Navy, The House of Rothschild, Imitation of Life, One Night of Love, The Thin Man, Viva Villa, and The White Parade. Yeah, so you're annoyed that The Thin Man lost to what happened one night. Yeah, very much so. The Thin Man is great. Uh, William Powell loses to Clark Gable. Uh. Uh, there is no Best Actress nominee, by the way. Myrna Loy not nominated. Unless she... Yeah, because there's no supporting character that... Wait, did they not have supporting? Or am I missing that? Yeah, there were no supporting actors and actresses, so she missed actress. Curious. Adapted screen... What was called adapt, Best Adaptation, which was Adapted Screenplay, it lost to what happened one night. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, so that's where we're at on 28 Days of Love. We will wrap up next week. And then you can, like I said, Kelly will come on and we'll, we'll figure out um, what next year's 29 Days of Love will be. Well, we'll give ourselves oh, time. Sorry. I'll say this, though. Kelly, one thing Kelly and I are going to be uh, exclusively talking about on the podcast next week is we are going to rate each of the couples in these movies. How good are nice. they as couples? Uh, because we got some thoughts. And let me tell you, some of these some of it's these going, people would not cut the mustard. It's going to be funny that one of your top couples consists 50% of a, a monster, for lack of a better word. Like someone that may or may not have the right equipment for uh, for coupling. Um, I mean, it seems I mean, like they found a way to make it work. Yeah, yeah, they never fully address how they're doing it, but they made it clear that they're doing it. Um, yeah, I don't, she I don't, went back for seconds. That's all. I'm that's saying. true. Well, you, yeah. What? It, I, I'm now. I kind of regret that with uh, when I had that Del Toro encounter. We talked about video games and other stuff. I should have asked him like. What kind of junk do you think uh, the hell is the Shape of Water, you know, Underwater King has? Because you know he has thoughts. Oh, yeah. He's, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's oh, concept you know, art somewhere. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, it's it's not what you think it is. It's, it's got like, it's, it's bifurcated and things like that. I'm sure it's a whole thing. Um, all right, cool. Something to look forward to. Um, let's take a question to get us into uh, the main topics. Steve, how's your how's your twenty eight days of love going? Uh, it's it's going well. It's uh, I'm two days into it. <laughs> There's a glimpse to your future, Miles. Um, all right, filmaholic face off. <laughs> Colin Farrell films. Uh, Ryan McDermott says, "Figured this is the last time his name is going to come up this season, so I better get it done now while I can." Since, uh, barring SAG, we talk about in a little bit, uh, it seems like it might be the end of the line for, for Colin Farrell. Winning wise, but how do you feel about these films, Minority Report or Miami Vice? Uh, it has to be Minority Report for me. It's one of my favorite Spielbergs, and definitely, it's probably still my favorite of his since the turn of the century. Um, Miami Vice is one of those movies where it's kind of gotten one of those like sort of critical recalibrations in recent years. And I've never quite understood it because everything I remember about that movie was just that it's so thoroughly like average and unmemorable. So yeah, the the people who hated it had no reason to hate it. The people who were like, "This is great, Michael Mann," had no reason to think that either. Yeah, it's just kind of I don't know. It's not much of anything. I don't think. 
Yeah, I, you wonder how it would have been received if it didn't have the Miami Vice name attached. Yeah, you know, wouldn't have been made because the story itself doesn't really justify anything. It's kind of a run-of-the-mill like cop movie. Yeah. Oh, totally. It certainly would be a Michael Mann movie or have that cast. It was all the name. Yeah, it's got to be a Minority Report yeah. sweep. Yep. Phone Booth or Daredevil? <laughs> I think he's better in Phone Booth, even though I adore his performance in Daredevil. Not necessarily for good reasons, but it's very entertaining. Um, I mean, Daredevil kind of sucks, but he's pretty fun in it. <laughs> yeah, Daredevil, I, Daredevil like sucks in a way that is of its time. They just didn't. It's it's not bo- it's not boring to watch. I'll say that. No, it's not boring. Affleck's not bad. Like, there's a good version of that movie that could have been made. It just wasn't going to yeah. be made by uh, was it Mark Steven Johnson or whatever his name is? Yeah, the director of Ghost Rider. Yeah, um, this was his thing. He made very like average, borderline bad. He was the guy years. of that era. Yeah, he was um, like, we don't want to make an Uva Ball movie, but we certainly don't want to make a good movie. No, no, exactly. I will go with uh, Phone Booth, I think. Yeah, it's Joel Schumacher. It's 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 busy nonsense, but at least it's like doing something. Same. Yeah. yeah. Sweep. Um The New World or the Beguiled. Um, I didn't think much of the Beguiled. Um I think he's kind of you know, anyone could have played that role because there's not much to it. He's just man. Yeah, he needs um, to be. He needs to be handsome. Yeah, and so I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't think the movie as a whole really did anything interesting. Um, I don't even remember what it was up against, but I guess it wins by default. Oh, um, the, the new world. The new uh, world. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not really my thing, but I think he's doing good work in it. So yeah, I'll sure. go the new world between the two. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I'll go beguiled, but. Not for many reasons. Yeah. I'll go Beguiled, too, because, you know, it's Malik. I struggle with Malik. This was before he fell off his cliff. So it's Yeah, this was um, pre-Tree of Life. Yeah, this was was the film after The Thin Red Line, where it was like, oh, well, there's a little less hype here now. What what have you got? And I, it's, listen, it's very pretty, but it's very boring. And not unwatchably boring which i think the last three or four have kind of been post tree of life where it's like yeah you're actively wasting like my time and your actor's time and like some of the actors are saying that afterwards um so it's hard to know why anyone likes this but yeah still i beguiled is is lower end uh sofia coppola but i i prefer it he's not notable in either not bad but not notable uh, next up, Fright Night or Seven Psychopaths? Um, I think he's more interesting in Fright Night. Uh, he's Seven Psychopaths, he's very much just normal guy. Which is the word, you know, he's one of those guys who he's struggled for years with being a character actor in a leading man's body. And every now and then, even the people who know how to use him will occasionally forget and put him in just like generic guy role. It is funny that Daredevil has Colin Farrell and Ben Affleck, two men, very much character actors in leading men's bodies who are done disservices when they're like, you're big and strong, do this. And when they should be like, you're weird, do this. Like, 
I, I noticed that as you were saying that, like they're they shared the screen in a movie that wasted both of them in a weird way. Yeah. Um. um yeah. So what? Fuck. So sorry. What were the two? Fright. Uh, Fright, Fright Night, Night, where he's where he's doing a thing in a movie that's whatever, or Seven Psychopaths, where he's doing less the thing, but. Well, I think it's the exact opposite. I think Seven Psychopaths is a movie that's kind of doing a thing, but it doesn't quite come together. And I think he's doing a thing in Fright Night, but the movie isn't very interesting. So, I don't know. I don't don't especially like either one. But I guess I'll go Seven Psychopaths just because it's got some things going on. Okay. Steve? Yeah, I I think there's a, a trend here that a lot of Colin Farrell stuff... You know, uh, it, it the, very much depends on how they're utilizing him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just not, but you know, nothing uh, top of the line here. So uh, I'm yeah. waiting for that one that I love, uh, and neither of these do I love. You but like, I like the, the original Fright Night, and I was very disappointed by the follow up. I, I actually do want to revisit it though, um, but because I kind of went in with a bad attitude, expecting right. not to like it. But I'll go with Seven Psychopaths until that day happens. Sure. Uh, I like Seven Psychopaths better as a movie, but I, I do think he's a lot of fun in Fright Night, which is not a bad movie. Him and Anton Yelton, it's, it's just, it, it was a Disney it's movie. It's not a that good didn't need, movie. It was aching not to be a Disney movie because it would have had a little more of an edge. Like, I it it walks to the line because it's Craig Gillespie, who's a solid filmmaker, and, and was sort of getting there with that movie. It's a It's a, like, stepping stone movie. I think, because you know, I Tanya. Like, if if he had made that after I Tanya with the I Tanya attitude, that would have been a fun movie, like a little more gnarly, but wasn't to be. Crazy Heart or Saving Mr. Banks? Um, I never saw Saving Mr. Banks. Uh, you didn't want to so watch Walt Disney actively masturbating for two hours. There's nothing about it I wanted to watch. Uh, um. Yeah so i can't really speak to it but he's good in crazy heart it's uh that was right around the time when um uh the public perception of him started to turn around a little bit i think that's one that helped yeah steve hmm i like both these films so um and and not for the not for the reason uh you said about saving mr banks but uh, I don't recall well, metaphorically because it's a oh okay movie. I, I'm like I don't remember that scene hap- uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's a, maybe it's I watched Disney movie the non-directors about how great cut. Walt Disney is yeah yeah um, but I enjoyed that film you know good enough well enough but um, yeah uh, Crazy it's Heart fine. Crazy Heart's a little better of a movie I don't love either movie he's better in Crazy Heart I will say he's not in the best scene in Saving Mr. Banks which is the um Steve masturbation know this yeah yeah it's the scene where he just whips it out he's yeah like, yeah here's my mickey no it's um <laughs> it's actually the it's actually a version it's not it's the one scene where he's playing like an actual character because most of the time it's tom hanks as walt disney kind of like giving you what you think walt disney is as he like goes up against uh, pl travers but there's a scene at the end where he like gives her like his real story of like how he had a kind of a shitty upbringing and you know, he wants you know, how accurate this is. Who knows? But like, part of the reason he wants this is for the children to be able to rejoice over like something good, and like you can trust me. Like letting you in the like I was. I remember being like a a cold child, like delivering newspapers for my father, who would beat me if I didn't do it well. And I don't want children to feel that way, kind of thing. It's a good scene in a movie that is never as good as that scene. Crazy Heart, however, 
is better acted, very generic, but also slightly better. All right. The opposite of generic now. The lobster or the killing of a sacred deer. Which, by the way, did you see the rating for... uh, um, For uh, poor poor things? things? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's back at it, isn't he? Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait. Um... Oh, I thought I thought Ryan was going to make this a little tougher because there's two obvious great performances he could have pitted against each other. Just wait. although, actually, I think I have an idea where he'll go instead. Yeah, yeah, he's going um, in the other direction. Killing of a sacred deer is kind of minor Yorgos for me. It's got some like very out there ideas, um, but it's, it might be his most out there movie actually. But at the same time, it's a little like clinical in a less entertaining way than some of his best stuff uh i think feral's fine in it but it's it's like nothing about it can compete with the lobster everything about the lobster is better in every way uh feral's performance is among his best Mm. see lobster yeah i i don't love the lobster as much as everyone i like it but i it's interesting because it's in some ways along with the favorite, the least Yorgos. Like, when I think of him, I think more of Dogtooth, Killing of a Sacred Deer, in the way of, like, the actors almost are, like, monologuing to each other. Like, they don't actually communicate with each other. It's very much read the dialogue. And they 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 don't do that as much in The Lobster and Favorite, which is why those did better. But I just think, like, at his core, Yorgos is like that... Remember that scene in Killing of a Sacred Deer where you, you, you see Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman have like their kinky sex and it's done very like mechanically? That's like peak Yorgos to me. The mechanics of like being a, being alive. Yeah. Whereas like when he's exploring actual human emotions, people like it better. It's just what because of Dogtooth, I think I've been thrown off. Also, did you ever see Alps, the other one he made before he no, came over? No, I didn't. It's it's a hard watch because it's it's the most clinical he's ever been. So I think because of that, I'm like, oh, that's what you really wanted to do. But yeah, it's hard to not pick The Lobster as a better movie. Killing Every Day, Sacred Deer is, in, is the best movie of his group to explain to someone. Because you get more of like, like what? Because, like, I, how did you not do The Lobster for 28 Days of Love? Um, That's a good question. Yeah. I think maybe we considered it, but it just didn't end up happening. No butter. yeah, yeah. No butter. <laughs> I really want to make a joke that I'm not going to make. It's like, well, it's not even a joke. It's more a reference, but like, you know. So did you consider Less Tango in Paris by that token? Not really. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, that movie is... Oh my God. I can't even imagine watching that movie now. Considering uh, how vocal many of the people involved in that have been about like, that wasn't fun. No, I just I don't I don't feel like I could get into it. No, I don't. I mean, I don't feel like you're meant to get into it per se, but I think the the movie, you know, does not probably work if you watch it with modern eyes of just like, oh, stop. You know, I think you're supposed to at least be somewhat fascinated by what's going on, and I don't think we can be. No, so no one will be getting the. Butter. Yeah, fa- fascination is not the word that comes to mind morbid like oh my god oh my god oh my god it's still happening yeah it's more like that i wonder if it's still like taught in film class probably i imagine less so less so but i feel like at that level 
I guess I don't know. We're 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 older now, but like I feel like in in college and like grad school courses, it, you can still like divest from the problems because like listen, people are still shown um, uh, D.W. Griffith and like oh totally not the less problematic ones. You know, we I mean, listen, I I I have you know in school, I was shown clips from that. I was shown clips from Triumph of the Will. Like you know, context is key. But it doesn't mean you you necessarily throw out the baby with the bathwater, especially if you're trying to learn about cinema. But in terms of like watching for enjoyment with your wife, yeah, there's no reason to watch that movie. It's probably shown criminal justice more than uh, film courses. That, yeah, fair point. Um, speaking of movies, you have no reason to watch The Gentleman or Roman J. Israel Esquire. See what I did there? Uh, I don't like those movies. Yeah, I never saw Roman J. Israel. I it, I didn't even know think i knew that colin farrell was in it yeah he's second lead in that movie oh it was he was it one of those weird things where like he's the co-lead but he's not in the trailer and doesn't have prominent billing or something he might be like barely in the trail but like when when uh when roman j israel uh sells out per se he goes to work for colin farrell oh okay and like is turning around colin farrell to like the side of of you know um being a lawyer for the people as he's becoming disillusioned, so they sort of switch places as it goes on. I don't, I don't care for that movie. Okay, well, what was the other one? <laughs> the Gentleman, the Guy Ritchie movie you forgot exists. Yeah, it's apparently getting, like, a TV show adaptation or something. I think they're counting on it having more legs than it does. The amount of Guy Ritchie movies I don't remember exists is, uh, large. <laughs> um, At this point. Yeah, no, I go with the gentleman. I think he's good in it. It's not one of my favorites of Guy Ritchie's, but it's solid. Yeah, I'll go the same. I guess I am by proxy, but the gentleman is in the very, like, anonymous Guy Ritchie of it all. Right? Considering it's bookended by Aladdin and Wrath of Man. (laughs) Remember Wrath of Man? not, Not his most interesting from that period. And now we're finally going to see Operation Fortune. Apparently. I'll believe it when I see it. And didn't he also make that Jake Gyllenhaal, like, war movie that's coming out this year? Oh, yeah, no, the one that looks like literally anyone could have made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it might still be good. And then he's got a new one, the the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, that I'm sure is thoroughly anonymous. Uh, Widows are after Yang. Uh, after Yang, for sure. He's really good in it, and the movie's just emotionally so complex and fascinating. Widows is two-thirds of a great movie, but it really falls apart in the back half. Or in the back third, I should say. Steve? Yeah, I'll, I'll go the same. Yeah, I, I think Widows... Widows had so much talk that year, early on, and people were saying snubbed, but I'm like, I don't know, it was never a great movie. It, so... Fair. I I think I prefer Widows as a movie. Not that I like it as much as everyone else did, but I, I think it's they're similar quality to me. But yeah, he's better in After Yang, if that's the tiebreaker that we're going with. And uh, finally, the one you knew we were building up to, In Bruges or the Banshees of Inisherin. <laughs> it, it had to be that. Um, listen, I love him being nominated for Banshees. I think he's amazing in Banshees. I think it deserves to be up there with his best performances. But that said, In Bruges is still his best performance. There's something so raw and vulnerable about it, and that movie as a whole is just 
I don't know. That 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 one is just one of my favorites from that era. It just hits me on exactly the right level every time. Steve? Trying to take recency bias out of the way. Uh, it's a tough one, of course. Um, yeah, but yeah, in Bruges. You know, the fact that I've revisited revisited it. You know what I'm saying. I did revisit it. Saw it again. Yes, I saw it again. Thank you. Um, yeah, let's go with that. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's got to be the right answer. Uh, quick addendum to that. But Brendan very Gleason. Tight. Very close. Bruges or Banshees? Uh, probably the same. Yeah. Maybe more so. Like, he's very good in Banshees. but Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I think I would lean further toward Banshees for Feral and, yeah. So. It's a closer call. I think with Gleason, like, I'm thrilled he's nominated, and it was the right role to get nominated for, but yeah, he's much better in that one. And in Calvary, for argument's sake. But that was never coming close. That was a hard sell. Right. He's also in The Guard, right? He has a, he had that run of, like, very similar types of movies that was like, I think that is why he's here, essentially. We kept ignoring you and not really considering you, but we remembered that, like, when you're in a movie, we're going to consider we got you and it was very much that one could argue they'd been doing that with him since gangs of new york yeah there's there's more than a little bit of that there um i have a thing i want to do um as a new like quick version of a game but as i look up our other questions so with years where there were five nominees for best picture i want to know what you think would have been six through ten I think it's an interesting like way of looking back on a year and be like well what else did they like so what i wanted to do was i wanted to go with a year that either of you wanted so we'll do that after the next question so think of a year you can each nominate one and we'll decide um especially if you know things beyond the five we can start more recent if that helps but i think it'll be an interesting insight into what we think that those seasons were like While cool. we, you guys think about that, Kayflee says, if Women Talking wins at WGA, who would you predict for adapted screenplay? If Banshees wins PGA and Everything Ever All at Once wins SAG Ensemble, who would you predict for Best Picture? If it switched, does that change anything? If Colin wins SAG, who do you predict for Best Actor? So uh, here's our excuse to talk about the upcoming awards. So we have PGA and SAG, and he's also included uh, WGA. So... What I say to that is there, there's a little bit more going on than those than what has been uh, stated in that question. But let's, let's tackle it with um, WGA first because that's a little uh, more cut and dry with the adapted race. So um, I think that as I pull up the other nominees for you guys in case you don't know, we have women talking. We have Glass Onion, we have Top Gun, we have She Said, we have Black Panther. Um, as you'll see in my predictions this week, I do think the the threat to Sarah Polly and Women Talking is All Quiet on the Western Front, and it's not at WGA. So I would be very surprised if Women Talking did not win WGA. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that's where I'm leaning in both cases. Which is part of why I think it's not super helpful. Because it's going to win. If if she loses, then that's a thousand percent sign that All Quiet's going to take that. 
Right. But if she wins, it just doesn't give you much information. I think, interestingly, um, I've moved Glass Onion from two to five. Like, that movie seemed like it was the competition, and just as ever so slowly, like, stepped back into the bushes. Partly, I yeah, think, strangely really so. Well, I think Netflix, it took until very late in the game for them to be like, oh, no, no, all in on All Quiet. Because we had said for a while that they were going to be all in on Glass Onion. So just yeah, to- well, that's what it seemed like for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and a long time ago, we said uh, Blonde would be... Oh, yeah, Blonde. Yeah, pre, wow. Previewing of Blonde. Sure, sure, sure. But, I mean, yeah. I mean... Um, that, that seemed like the, one of the big... They, they ran through a lot of their potential contenders. There yeah. was a world in which um, White Noise was their big one. Yeah. You know, they, they sort of played it by ear. Now, in terms of SAG, let's talk about Colin Farrell for a second. Uh, it's, as, as uh, Ryan mentioned in his face-off, it's kind of his last stand. Though I don't, I, th- I don't think it's going to happen either way. I think, I think BAFTA, which we'll talk about next, was where he would have had the win. If he was going to get a win. What do we think about that? I guess. I don't know. I I think trying to rely on statistics for this particular best actor race, because everything is kind of at cross. Like, all I don't know. Everything that backs up one thing is kind of canceled out by this. And just sure. I don't and know. I would, I would remind like, people that. Every everything that like each because it's between the three we know it's between the three, yes. um, and I think they've all got stuff going for them and I think they've got stuff holding them back. But like, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be like the result is going to be a much more emotional one, and that makes it difficult to predict how they go and you know how much to take the other nominations or lack of nominations and the relevant films into play and yeah, how much to take like BAFTA and SAG and all this into play. So. Sometimes, especially some, sometimes it's it's not as clear cut as people some people like to make it out to be. Sure, and especially BAFTA with their um, remember they more so for picture, but they don't have um, preferential balloting, so keep that in mind with with their picture pick. They also their nomination process is different, which is why you see last year especially not so much this year, but the, the wild snubs. Um, also, isn't it cute? Not cute. It's it's terrible, but also just kind of funny that people forgot about this. Um, when they looked at the winners and went, hey, they all look a certain way, that they forgot that BAFTA has literally never nominated Denzel Washington. It's a shock to them that BAFTA goes white. Yeah, imagine that. But at the same time, it's, it shouldn't be the only question, because it's, I mean, listen, I don't like Elvis, but I'm, I'm not going to argue he's bad in the movie. Like, you can't really complain about the nominees, but it is maybe not the best look for a group that already sometimes struggles with this uh, with this profile, that the the two likely minority winners were upset at the same festival. That was uh, that was interesting. That was mostly um, informative about who the number twos are in that category, I think. But I think Colin Farrell is number three. I I, I, I still I, it seems like it's moving towards uh, an Austin Butler win, which I'm not thrilled about. But I I don't there there is anything to suggest that Colin Farrell has a win in him yet. Because he hasn't won anything. If he wins SAG, it's kind of chaos then. Yeah, I, I I do agree that he probably he needs that extra something to stay alive. Because oh no, without SAG, he's done. Without SAG, he's done. 
if Austin Butler wins SAG, it's over. And if Brendan Fraser wins SAG, you, it's a two-horse race. Pick him. With how, it basically comes down to, like, where do the Colin Farrell fans go if they have a preference at preventing someone? And I think at the end of the day, ultimately, what might end up being the 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 tiebreaker is the whale is going to struggle to pull from people who their their preference isn't in the race anymore. You know, like if you like Banshees, you're voting for Colin. If you like Elvis, you're voting for Austin. You have several categories worth of those films. If you're a Fableman's fan, you know you don't have Gabriel LaBelle. If you're a Babylon fan, you don't have Diego Cabo. Where where are you going? I think that's what'll make the difference, and it might be the hardest for the whale, unless you just really love the performance, right? And I I don't know. That's why I don't think you can count him out because it is the most like emotionally demanding performance of the three. Like given as you've seen, like the wide range of responses. But if it was a preferential ballot, it would have the most number ones and the most number fives that performance like it's just that's kind of how the movie goes yeah very much so exactly which i think in a way hurts colin farrell because he he can't really get to that number two point because it's hard to count out fraser just like if fraser was winning almost everything it would be hard to count out butler because you would wait for that like last minute turn you know the keaton Redmayne turn right you're just like wait what (laughs) how is this turning which we kind of almost had you know gloves don't matter critics choice doesn't really matter but you had a one-to-one, and then BAFTA was your first, like, well, there's no reason for them to vote for Austin Butler. Is Elvis really a big English? You know, like, it, it was kind of equal ground. If anything, you thought maybe Colin Farrell would take it. Well, that he would have something resembling home field advantage, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially considering they loved that movie, and they it did well. just didn't do quite as well as All Quiet, as we'll talk about. Uh, and then for the PGA, if Banshees wins... And Everything Everywhere wins SAG Ensemble. I'm pretty sure Everything Everywhere is going to win SAG Ensemble. Um, what do you do with the split there, essentially? Um, I don't think Banshee is going to win PGA. So that will probably make that a little easier. I think if Everything Everywhere doesn't win PGA, and it's not the Fablemans, it's Top Gun. Which makes for a very interesting Oscar night. Yeah, I mean, I think no matter what combination you go in, we're going to have an interesting night because like, if you ask me my gut pick right now, I'd say everything everywhere, but a lot can happen between now and then. Yeah. There's also, you start to get into those wild stats about like everything everywhere didn't win at BAFTA. And it, you know, I think nothing has one best picture without an above the line BAFTA win in several years. I think you have to go back to moonlight. That might be the stat I'm thinking of. Which kind of works for everything everywhere, like as an offbeat winner. But at the same time, it will go in. If it goes in as the front runner, it goes in as an interesting and vulnerable front runner because of the fact that it, it will not play quite as long a preferential ballot. That's where PGA is super important. Preferential ballot. If everything everywhere wins there, the race is over. Because right. it means it can survive a preferential ballot. Whereas if it wins everything else, if it if it's winning elsewhere but not winning on a preferential, you have to give it some pause, um, as we've seen in in many a year, where you know you don't necessarily want to put one award over another, but PGA kind of has that leg up because of that, give or take, you know what's going on in the race. You can you can use your your knowledge of the race, um, so I, I 
Fableman's very much a preferential balloting type movie. Top Gun, very much a preferential balloting type movie. Um, Banshees, maybe. There's a small segment. Of, like, if you don't, there's no one who goes, Banshees is fine. Most people like it. A lot of people love it. There's a small section of people who go, I don't get it. Like, what is this, you know? And my parents. It's kind of, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's kind of that, that generation in the way that everything everywhere really only struggles with an older voter. Because it can lose you in the beginning if you're like, what, what, wait, is this a Star Wars? Is this a Marvel? Like, you know, you start to, you just, you don't, you don't meet it halfway. And then I think the rest of them are not really in competition. I would be, I would honestly be surprised if an All Quiet, the All Quiet would do well on a preferential balloting. No one seems to dislike the movie. But again, they're like the Tars and the Elvises, like they're not, they're just not going to be a factor. Yeah. So that's where I think we are with that. Steve, what do you think about that? I agree. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's it's a tough year. The, uh, I mean, if you went back a few years and took some of these nominees, you'd think they're they're you know neck and neck for uh, for a fight all the way through sure. the Oscar. But it's changed. You know, when you have avatars and and Elvis and Top Gun and 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 just actually even even the front runners. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a different mix. So it's and even like back in the old days, you know, like yeah, you go back to like the Pulp Fiction. We get was it the Pulp Fiction year with Babe and uh, Forrest Gump? You kind of you know you kind of knew where it was going, but like this year, it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's because of the ten. You have such a wide uh, a wide field. Sure. Uh, you I'm, know what? I think you. I think you bring up an interesting point. Why don't we do for this like an oral version of the game? Why don't we do the forwardings in a funeral, funeral year? Okay. Since we just sort of talked about it. Um, so we know the five nominees, right, for best picture. If you want to pull up like the uh, that Academy Award, let's see. Because I can tell you about some of the stuff, but it's it's also helpful. So you had Pulp Fiction, you had forwardings in a funeral, you had Forrest Gump. You had Shawshank. You had Quiz Show. I would posit that of the the next five, you almost certainly have Ed Wood. Right? Anyone disagree yeah. with that? No, I yeah. agree. I don't think it's six necessarily, but it's there. Um, I think six is Bullets Over Broadway. Yes. That, was, that, that sure. I'm, I think if you look, without looking at like how the precursors went, because they were also different at the time. That was probably that or four weddings, kind of for the comedy slot. So I think Legends of the Fall might crack the ten in like a somewhat boring way. Yeah, well, same with um, the Madness of King George, which just seems like it's nominated a lot here. Both possible. I think the I think you also get three colors red. Yeah, for sure. And if you don't oh. get the other, what'd you say? The Lion King. That's 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 an interesting one because do uh, they go for that or is it too early? No, because Beauty and the Beast had already happened at that point. Mm-hmm. I know, but would they go back to it? Is what I'm what I'm saying. I don't. In I the don't way, see why not. Maybe I think uh, the Lion or, King is certainly worthy of that. Sure. Yeah. Maybe more so. Yeah, um, exactly. Other options because we're not going to come up with an answer. I just because also keep in mind it changes the award season if it's ten, not five. Well, totally. So like you're you know, I don't think it changes the outcome. But does does Forrest Gump, for example, lose a little bit of its support because it's spread out more, and Pulp Fiction stands out even more so because it's 
such a unique of the ten. Uh, but I'll throw out another one: uh, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. It would have had to do a little bit better in terms of like another nominee or two, but but it would uh, it would also start the Angley love affair a little early. And it didn't win uh, foreign film, yeah, though. Yeah, but we could get that could be in that. You know, we could chalk that up to the years of uh, like Pan's Labyrinth. That's the thing. It's such a different. It's such a different. Oh, it's a different know, time. That's what a makes time now, though. But but when you say like when you bring up Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction, well, there's. I, I think it would be a race. Well, actually, well, I think it'd be a three film race still with Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, and Shawshank. Probably. You know, it's like, it's. Oh, you know what's a one other movie to throw out? Heavenly Creatures. Yeah, was that? There's also I don't I don't know, know that that ever felt like an Academy movie, especially not screen, that screenplay but, nomination. Yeah, but that's you know it also it, might like have... if everything everywhere had come out this year, it would only have a screenplay nomination. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, I get that. Um, let's talk BAFTA for a second because I, I want to. I just want to. I think that's a fun thing to do once in a while. To, to go look at uh, how that would have gone since some years will be very easy and some years will be very hard um, we'll do a very recent one next time just because we'll have more in our head we can also do them for the years where they went with a strange number the crooked number years as I call them mm. but uh, quickly let's run through BAFTA so as I said it was good night for All Quiet and Western Front it won Adapted uh, uh, where Women Talking was not nominated to so take that for what it's worth uh, Supporting Actress went to Carrie Condon for the Banshees um, though they mistakenly announced Carrie Mulligan first which I thought was oh, very interesting for a minute uh, but no but it was Carrie Condon uh, beating Bassett, Han Chow and Jamie Lee Curtis so several of the nominees were here make of that what you will and then what do you know? They do the same thing in supporting actor Barry Keegan wins, beating uh, beating Kiwi Kwan. Interestingly, Barry, not Brendan. Maybe. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that like just pretty consistently that he comes up for supporting actor far more easily than Brendan does, which kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier about it's almost like he's kind of getting swept in with the film and that if the film weren't doing as well, Brendan might not have gotten in at all. Very much so. Um, Eddie Redmayne did not win, but was nominated. Just wanted to mention that for you. Mm. Uh, All Quiet wins film not in the English language. Casting doesn't have a an Oscar counterpart, but it went to Elvis. Editing went to Everything Everywhere All at Once. Beating All Quiet and Top Gun. Elvis and Banshees. But I think if you look at the Oscar race, it feels like everything in Top Gun kind of going at it there. Just remember, All Quiet missed that one randomly. Cinematography went to All Quiet. I think that might be our cinematography winner. I've, I've gone back and forth on this one a lot. I think I, it's the I, only one that makes sense to me. Yes, though I will, I will go not go to my grave, but I will maintain as much as I do not care for Elvis. Warner Brothers dropped the ball on not like reminding everyone very, very pointedly that Mandy Walker would be a history-making win. You know, like that was a whole part of the power of the dog narrative right Mm -hmm. I I don't know why you wouldn't do that because you get clearly the academy likes Elvis right I don't like Elvis but when you tell me that 
I go, all right. I, I find it harder to like be annoyed when Elvis wins that one. Um, the other nominee here from the Academy was Empire of Light. But if Deacons wasn't winning here for that movie, he's not winning at the Academy. Even though like no. Stranger Things have happened. But it's just, it seems like all quiet. Minus ASC doing something very interesting. Uh, debut by a British writer was After Sun. Could have told you that. Animated film was Pinocchio. Original screenplay. A little bit interesting. It was the Oscar 5. And Banshees wins. That is interesting. Lean a little bit into it's it's BAFTA, and that makes sense. It's the most BAFTA of the five. But keep in mind as we continue on with what happened. So special visual effects went to Avatar. Documentary went to Navalny. That's just one we're not going to figure out until like the last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, well, they had All That Breathe, All the Beauty of Bloodshed, and Fire of Love. They had three of the other nominees for what that's worth. They also had Moon is Daydream because it's Bowie. Of course they were going to. Um, All Quiet wins original score over Babylon. Do we think it's mm. a wave? Uh, I will I will caution that um, BAFTA did not seem to care for Babylon. So it's not like super shocking. I, it had like two nominations or something like that. But again, it managed to it managed to win, and you got to win. If you don't win things, you you can't really go into Oscar night as a potential winner. There's a very much two man race now with uh, Volker and Justin. Yeah, for sure. Sound went to All Quiet on the Western Front. This is another close one because you have All Quiet, you have Elvis, you have Top Gun. Other nominees here were Avatar and Taro. Like, I don't really know. Sound might be less cut and dry than I thought initially. Yeah, I've been, I've been hopscotching back and forth between those two. Yeah, that's that's where we're at. Costume design was Elvis. Not fully convinced this is how it goes, but I think it's in the lead right now. Um, British short film, not really applicable, but it's an Irish goodbye, which is up at the Oscars. Let's keep that in mind. Uh, British short animation, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, which also is up at the Oscars and could be the uh, the front runner. Outstanding British film went to Banshees, beating After Sun. That was sort of the other like very likely one. Uh, production design, though, Babylon wins. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but also Babylon, I think, is is it won it won at um, the uh, art designers. So that. Uh, maybe is just happening also something to keep in mind so avatar was seen as a potential like winner also and it lost that uh art directors to everything everywhere all at once that is interesting that was a passion vote i think but yeah i think babylon will get its win production design unless it unless it ends up being elvis uh director edward Berger, all quiet on the western front which really makes this like not getting nominated oscar thing even stranger but he that beat, still uh, blows my mind. Yeah, the Daniels lost, Todd Field lost, Martin McDonough lost of the uh, fellow nominees. Remember, Spielberg notably not nominated here. Um, which we can quickly dovetail into the Daniels won DGA. Um, which I, I wanna I don't want to call bullshit on people, but I saw a lot of like, oh, obviously they won. Like two weeks before that, everyone was saying Spielberg's got that one in the bag and he's gonna there's gonna be a picture split and all that. I just wish people would be a little more consistent and like don't say you knew it was going to happen when it, it happens. Um, but yeah, it does look like the Daniels are going to win director, regardless of uh, picture, which may lead to the 
director picture split just Daniel's taking director which would almost make more sense given the way the academy votes of late so if it ends up being Daniel's um, uh, if it ends up being picture director split and uh, Daniel's take director what do you think takes picture I I don't know that I want to say it out loud yet but I kind of think it might be Top Gun then interesting like the See, most mainstream such a crazy year it is because you're gonna have to figure out what else Top Gun wins, or we could have our our one not one nomination being Best Picture, but your one win being Best Picture, which we're we're building towards the way they vote recently, and it's kind of the perfect one for it. Also, wild if top if Tom Cruise wins an Oscar for producing Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, Stranger Things have happened, but still, um, I guess the alternative there because I, I I I'm fine I'm having trouble with Fableman's winning now. Unless it went it, it just it just seems so much less likely. It, it needed to have more under its belt. Well, it's it's going to end up being the movie that like the Globes rewarded, and only the Globes, and that's a strange thing. Like it, it did seem like again, I don't pay attention to the Globes beyond like knowing what they did, but it sort of felt like that was going to be the beginning of the wave. And you'd be like, well, the Globes don't matter, but that they just tried to guess the Oscars, as opposed to they guessed too early. And went with the one that's not going to, like, go the whole distance. We're, we're Like I said a couple weeks ago, we're in that weird, like, not giving Spielberg his due phase, which is a wild thing. Um, but, you know, it's not like they didn't nominate it for things. It's just, I find it a little strange. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't think Banshees can win, but it's going to be right there. So I, I, I do think if it's not everything everywhere, Top Gun's in a really good position. Especially if it's a close knit vote, because it's yeah, probably going to have I the most like, like Top Gun will probably have the most number threes, you know, or like twos. Not gonna it, it's not gonna fall very low because if it had enough detractors, it just wouldn't have gotten nominated, right? Um, in a way that like you know you can have the ones. It's clear what movies get in because they have number one votes at the nomination process. Like, if The Whale had cracked, like, The Whale was probably number 11, right? If it had yeah. gotten in, it got in on number one votes, right? It didn't get in on twos, three, fours. It got in on ones and survived the amount of, like, not being on the ballot that it had. Whereas with um, many of these other nominees, they don't they don't have that, so it's harder to tell. We'll come back to it. Um, so, yeah, director went to Edward Berger. Makeup and hair went to Elvis. It's going to beat The Whale. Just seems like that's where they're going. I will choose to forget that they there's some truly bad makeup on Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rising Star Award went to Emma McKay. Leading actor, as I mentioned, went to Austin Butler, Elvis. Um, the five Academy nominees plus Daryl McCormick for Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. Actress, Kate Blanchett, Tar. Do we chalk this up as it's very much their type of movie? Does it you know, go into what we talk about with who they do and don't reward that Michelle Yeah lost. Like, how do we, how do we feel about this? Cause I, I don't, I still think it's very close and I want to see what happens with Zach. I just, it's hard for me to read too much into the tea leaves here just because all their other acting winners are so far against what sort of the trends have been, especially well, in only, sporting. Well, and also in Lee, they only have three of the five. Because they well, have right. Anna Armas and Michelle Yao, they don't have Andrew Riseborough, they don't have Michelle Williams. But Which, if you remember, look, Michelle at, Williams was the big miss. But if you look at um, how little they reward everything everywhere in general across the night, I think 
it's it's just hard to to factor it in because you can't imagine it going the same way with oscars with it yes. getting so also, little recognition which is mildly concerning for everything everywhere like i don't think i i i think it's the it's the one to beat at the moment but there's still you know this week will this weekend will tell us more but yeah. the doing well at bafta has never been a bad thing and especially if you're a little off kilter you want to do well with bafta because bafta right not so much anymore which almost makes this weirder had a reputation of like stiff upper lip kind of like you know they're the king's speech voters yeah mm-hmm. and and the way that they nominate now was meant to to prevent that from happening or at least mitigate that factor right and they ignore everything everywhere as much as humanly possible here while still giving it its nominations it's interesting yeah i I think it would have been more noble for Kate blanchett to lose this than to win yeah the surprise though was all quiet on the western front wins best picture beating banshees beating elvis beating everything everywhere and beating tar because I thought if it wasn't going to... if They could have just gone Banshees in both categories, right? Or if not, they could have kind of grit their teeth and gone everything everywhere. But they went Banshees. I was half expecting them to go Banshees for both, or like Banshees and After Sun or something like that. Indeed. Steve, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, feel mean... like, I feel like as much as you're tired... I feel like your silence is more indicative of like, well, I, I don't have enough information now. There's no well, that's the, the thing. Usually, no consensus building. Usually, there's some tea leaves to read, but this year it just seems as if every award, uh, you know, ceremony that goes on, you go, all right, well, that one didn't fit into the narrative, and that's what I keep yeah. seeing. It's like, you know, the all quiet is is getting a lot of buzz the, over these last sure. few weeks. And for some uh, interviews with these winners on the website. Yeah, uh, that's coming up. But it, it's just yeah. amazing to me that, you know, like in so many, you know, award seasons you watch early on, you say, okay, well, here's the one to watch. And then it's, it's you know, it's neck and neck. There's others, totally. you know, fighting it out. And this year I just really having a tough time because, you know, you, yeah, I, I, I tend to overthink uh, the awards and I usually fail uh i lose a category or two on on uh oscar night it. because of it we, we all we all do that we all, we all every year and i think last year i did last year the year before one year i did especially well it might have been last year and it was i talked myself out of one win a year yeah because i just i overthink it i underthink it we but all do it this year there's a couple categories really i could throw a dart and uh and whatever it hit would be probably just as good of a guess um totally yeah, I'm having a tough time reading the room on on Best Picture. Yeah, well, we'll come back to it because after this weekend, we'll have more information or more confusion. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's talk about the things that we've recently seen. We each have a we we all have one movie to talk about, but quickly, I'll go into a couple of things that I recently saw. Um, quickly, I'll get out of the way. A bad movie. I saw the remake of Children of the Corn. It was made like three years ago. There's, I, I wish it had stayed in the corn. Uh, the review will be up next next week, and then I will never mention it again because it's awful. Uh, don't watch it. That's the most generous review I can give there. On the flip side, Creed 3 is really good. Surprisingly good. And not, Listen, I like Creed 2 a lot, but you keep waiting for it to get like overly silly, and it, it's not there yet. It's, it's continuing to be interesting and, and do some of the things you want and do a couple of things differently. 
I'm very uh, I'm very keen on it, and I do hope that Miles does his like Rocky binge leading up to it because I'd love to to get a little more into it when it comes out next month. Steve, you like Rocky and Creed, right? I liked Rocky, and I mean, I like several of the Rocky films, and Creed yeah. one, Creed two is okay. A... okay. I, this is different than Creed two, but closer to Creed two than Creed in that it's it's moving it's it's moved fully away from Rocky. He's like mentioned twice, as opposed to like showing up in the movie. Yeah, um, that's, that's a, probably a good move. Uh, there's a point in the movie where he would have been useful, but not necessary. Um, and Jonathan Majors is great, and Michael B. Jordan, really good director. More on more on Creed three coming up, um, and then I just came back from before we did this seeing Cocaine Bear, and boy did I love Cocaine Bear. <laughs> What a fun movie. Just violent and silly and ridiculous. And you get to watch a bear high on cocaine for 90 minutes. What else do you want? Like, it's exactly what you want out of this movie. It's what I want right now. Cocaine or cocaine bear? Cocaine bear and cocaine bear. Okay. I was about to say, like, I can't help you with that other part. Um, Elizabeth Banks is is having fun with this movie. Um, Like, it's not mean-spirited per se, but she is completely happy for these characters to be like ridiculous because the 500 pound bear can have his way with them or her way with them um really really enjoyed this movie i think my favorite movie of the year so far you heard it here Um, first folks yeah uh and we'll talk about it next week because i think uh miles is like going to see it like within a matter of hours yeah pretty soon (laughs) yeah um i i can't wait to talk more about it because it's just a fucking delight it's a demented delight i believe is the subject of my review which will be up around the time that you're uh, that you're listening to this they are a few hours apart the embargo and uh, the publishing of this um and finally i want to double back on to ant-man now that um miles has seen it now that steve's back to talk about it um i gave you my thoughts my thoughts have not changed but what i want to do is i want to ask you guys and you can also talk about your thoughts on the movie about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the phases, the MCU phases. Uh, I, it's not uh, ridiculous to be lost a little bit on where we are now, but let me give you the phases and you can tell me what your favorite one is. And then you can get back into uh, Ant-Man. Because Ant-Man is the start of phase five. And I think we're all in agreement that it's not going to be our pick regardless, right? No. Based on a single film, no. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, based for, on this single film, no. Yes. Uh we have three different takes on this movie. Um Phase 1 was Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America the First Avenger, and The Avengers. There's two and a half really good movies there, right? Or two. Iron Man, it's bookended very very well. Yeah, I'd say Thor is the half. Uh, Captain America, maybe either one. Uh, and then our, say, uh, yeah. I, I, first I, Captain I, America is my least favorite film in the MCU. Oh, really? I like it. I like it less than than most. But um, actually, where is it on my list? We we can we'll do a check in on the list in a minute because I don't think our lists have changed very much. But I'll just remind people where we're at. But yeah, so does anyone think that phase is their pick? No. It is not my pick. Um, I don't think it's my pick, but I have to double check because I remember I, I 
as I look. Oh, I know what my pick is. But yeah, um, this might be my runner-up. Because it's still, like, barely getting into the the Infinity Stones of it all. Phase 2, you have Iron Man 3. You have Thor the Dark World. Then you have Captain America the Winter Soldier. Guardians of the Galaxy. Avengers Age of Ultron. Ant-Man. See, that one's almost the opposite, where, like, in the middle of the sandwich, you got two really great ones with Winter Soldier and the first Guardians, yeah. but then surrounding it, it's pretty dire. Yeah, and I am I tend to be uh, the odd man out on this, but I, I didn't love the Winter Soldier, and I've watched it several times, and I still don't love it. Uh, I, think I, I like it, but I, I think I'm it's with you. middling to, to lower tier for me. I'll check in a minute so, where it comes up. I do love Guardians, uh, and I, I, the first Ant Man is is uh, quite a bit of fun as well. So sure, I will. Um, I'll throw this out there. I think Phase Three they don't miss. So like I, I, I listen. I would argue there hasn't been a bad Marvel movie full on yet, but Phase One had Iron, it had the Incredible Hulk, which is whatever. Phase Two had Thor: The Dark World, which automatically kind of takes it out. Here's Phase Three: Civil War, right? Captain America: Civil War. Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War. Like, that that run right there of, like, Spider-Man to Infinity War, it's pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, which maybe is the least of this group, but still totally fine. Endgame, Spider-Man Far From Home. This is definitely my pick. Yeah, it's got to be this one. Just, yeah. like, some of, some of those, like... What uh, I think it was, um, God damn it! It's the year of um, it's Guardians and Spider Man and yeah. Ragnarok. Like what a great run! And then going straight into Black Panther and Infinity War. God, yeah, yeah and, no, and that, then, that's when they were at the peak of their powers for sure. Yeah, and wrapping up that storyline in a satisfying manner. And I would even argue with with um, Far From Home, like progressing. Like it was interesting that Far From Home was the last of Phase Three, as opposed to endgame like it was they were making it clear that like this isn't you know beating thanos wasn't the end of the story and this is where we start to see them tackle with the blip which became kind of like a big tv thing um so well, now well this one is is what 11 films right yes. and the other two um, combined have a total of was it 12 from one and two six apiece yeah and if you took those and combined those into one, it still doesn't match up. There's so many oh, yeah. weak links in this. I think the weakest link in, in Phase 3 is uh, is Civil War. I think it was just a, a reason to have them all fight. And it, it you know, which... I think Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel. Oh, I, uh, it's I Captain, it's Captain, Marvel for, Captain Marvel for me, I think, is just... It very You're much fine. has that feeling of Doctor Strange first Ant-Man where it's just another origin story that doesn't have enough to stand out. I really sure. like Civil War. I think we've had this conversation yeah. before, but that one is among my favorites of Phase 3, I think. And Phase 4, you have Black Widow, you have Shang-Chi, you have Eternals, so we're really like swinging that pendulum. Um, but then you have No Way Home. And then the last three have been Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Wakanda Forever. So, Phase Four, like I think, is better than well, maybe but also Phase Four factors in the TV stuff, and that's yeah. where things get a little unwieldy. Well, that's where I'm leaving out the TV for the argument of this. But yeah, this is where you. It seems like 
more homework because of the fact that phase four becomes the multiverse saga as opposed to you know the 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 infinity saga was very um not cut and dry is the wrong word but it was very clear what the stakes were building up to be here's this like massive villain he's amassing power at some point he's coming it's going to be a big deal and to some degree people were aware of kind of like what he was capable of from the comics here we've only now gotten into like okay well this is all about kang in the multiverse because so far it's been like and this is i think steve's big issue has been like it's the multiverse and i don't know why i care yet that's uh that is my issue i mean i i said it from day one when they introduced the multiverse that you're opening up a can of worms that it's it's the stakes are so big that everything feels small in comparison and you take out you strip away a lot of what like actually things you actually care about with things that you're told you're supposed to care about which is my biggest issue with with ant-man uh and the uh Quant- what's it called mania quantum mania yeah yeah it's, yeah. so it's, out of 29 films for as we transition to talking ant-man i will tell oh. you that it came in at 18 for me well there's 31 what am i missing then wow in that case it's <laughs> you sure what am i missing mm-hmm. yeah quantum mania is number 31 Oh, did I not add? Well, the, the numbers I have to I have to tinker with because I might have missed. Uh, did I miss Black Panther in this? It's actually Maybe pretty I... funny if it's true because I think I came in at eighteen for me on my list. I think I didn't update Black Panther or maybe Thor: Love and Thunder. So you're not that as far off as yeah, yeah. No, the number the the think. point of which it will be is the same. I'll I'll fix this when we finish recording, but um, it comes in. Right above Black Widow, it's one better than Black Widow, and it's one under uh, Winter Soldier quality wise. In terms of where I feel, and it's in the middle of the um, Ant Man franchise. I think Ant Man the Wasp is a little better. Oh, interesting. I have it uh, at eighteen, but I have it above uh, First Doctor Strange and below uh, Far From Home. Interesting. All right. So while you're talking, you saw Ant Man. What did you think? Yeah, I I feel like I might actually be the most positive leaning out of the three of us. Interesting. Um, I don't think it's amazing, but I also think for this one, it probably helps that I went in with like probably the lowest expectations I've had for an MCU film in a really long time, like maybe since the first Thor. Um, just cause like at a certain point they hit such a good batting average where you know that even if it's average, you're still probably going to have a good time with it. And, um, it's a mess. It's a very messy movie and structurally it's kind of all over the place. Pacing wise, it's weird. There's a lot of weird editing choices and the dialogue is clunky and expositiony, which I've noticed mm-hmm. from a couple of their recent films. And it's like, okay, now we're going to do a gag. All right, now we're going to have just like a brick shit ton of uh, exposition. Um, you know, let's get Bill Murray for five minutes just for a brick shit house of exposition. Um, and so stuff like that I don't love, but as somebody who's not crazy about either of the other two Ant-Man movies, I think it's probably the best of the trilogy. I don't think that's high wow. praise necessarily, but I do think... I don't know. I'm into like the Star Wars by way of Rick and Morty vibe that the quantum realm has going on. I'm into like the world and like the new characters we get to meet. None of them are especially well developed or, you know, get to do much of anything, but they're enjoyable while they're there. 
And also, by the way, I uh, I realized what I did. I used the wrong uh, list that I did because I did have a list that went up to thirty. I just grabbed the one that went to twenty nine. So ah, silly me there. Wait, um, goes to eleven. But yeah. the um, the number one thing this movie had to get right, which I do think it does get right, is um, the introduction of Kang. And I say that with a big fat asterisk on it that we'll get into in a minute, I'm sure. Yes. Um, but I think the performance of Jonathan Majors is excellent. I think he adds a lot of nuance, probably a lot more nuance than is on the page. Um, and I think that he sets up the character to potentially be a very interesting nemesis for the Avengers. Asterisk, asterisk. We'll talk about it. Um <laughs> But um, I also think this one corrected one of the biggest issues I had with Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is that it gave Michelle Pfeiffer a decent amount of stuff to do. She gets a little fight scene here and there, and she's, you know, she her scenes with Kang, I think, are among the best of the film because they have a really great tension to their interactions. Uh, and one wishes that uh, we got to see a little bit more of that. So I think it's a mixed bag, but considering I was expecting it to be, like, super lame... I, I found myself pleasantly entertained by it, and um, yeah, I appreciate the weirdness. Yeah, I think it's just it's weird, and I think it's lower stakes than I think it wants to feel like it is. Which goes back to the whole Ant Man of it all. It barely feels like an Ant Man movie. Uh, it's very much doing a whole different. It's becoming a connecting major connecting block of the MCU going forward, and you know there are upsides and downsides to that. And I think we see extremes of both so i don't think it's great i think it's you know lower middle tier mcu but that's still pretty entertaining it's number 20 for me in the updated ranking for argument's sake now okay i i would just say that i you know like steve and some other people i've um talked to about it i see a lot of people getting really burnt out on the mcu right now and i don't blame any of them I'm still on board for now. I, nothing Same. has happened to like buck me off quite yet, but I am very much aware of the shortcomings and some of the lazy shortcuts they've started taking in recent movies, especially when it comes to like special effects or costumes or you know some of the some of the things that are starting to feel a little lazy or the way certain things are written. Um, so you know, there's some MCU problems that need to be addressed, but. I think a lot of people have been trying to paint this movie as the one where everything is starting to fuck up, and I don't think we're there yet. No. <coughs> no, I don't I don't think so. I, I it's an easy movie to pick on if you're ready to check out of the of the Marvel universe because Well and that's just it. If if you're ready to check out, you don't need any one movie to be your excuse. There's there's no. plenty to pick on at this point. Exactly. On the flip side, though, I think everyone seems very on board for Guardians Three. Oh yeah, totally. totally amazing. Well, let me say, I, I'm I'm not tired. You know, I'm not losing my interest in the in the MCU. I just, you know, there, there's just so much going on with between the TV series and the films, and like this for me felt like it could have all you needed was the last ten minutes or so for Kang to announce who Kang was and what was going on and the rest was just uh, it was like it's like a, a roller coaster ride in an amusement park where like not you know more like a, a disney ride essentially where you know you're, you're on and they go in the end it all turned out well and here's the big uh 
you know, here's your your post credit that gives you all the information you need. Or well, here was like the last ten minutes, all the info you need. But otherwise, you can pretty much remove it. It doesn't need to exist. At least that I don't I don't recall. And like you said, the stakes are meant to sound so big, but because of the ability just to wipe out, you know, different uh, uh, universes or, or whatever, um, you go well. I, I didn't see any kind of repercussions from that happening. If if this is going on and and Kang's out there destroying, no one knew. <laughs> We're just learning about it, and suddenly everyone cares. It's like, well, you know, it's what's behind the door. You don't know, and what it was wasn't bothering you in the first place. It's the uh, you know what's a, a thing that I, I the one criticism I have of it is sort of the I, I didn't care about the like quantum realm civil war of it all. That felt like it could have been a TV show. Like set up all that, yeah. With like, like yeah, you could have but I, well, that's I think like Quantum you would Mania never show. make that TV show without having already introduced those characters in a movie, and then you're kind of stuck in a I vicious you, circle I bet of you chicken if, and egg. I bet you if Ant Man had been a little less highly regarded, I think without his appearances in, in Civil War and Avengers and stuff that like mm-hmm. people enjoy him more in, if it was just the two movies, I wonder if they would have done this as a show. I was going to say that you know the the, the first. You know, uh, seven eighths of it feel like it could have been a show. Oh, I can and, tell you exactly where the where this becomes like a six hour thing instead of uh, uh, the thing. You you know, you spend a whole episode at the beginning. You know, not in the quantum realm. You know, the you get a whole episode about um, the Bill Murray in, in that area. You just you see where they could have stretched it out. Yeah, I don't know that it would have been better. And I and I I like the movie still, but like I think you're both right. I think it's it's it's, it's fun and enjoyable. Yeah, that's the thing, but. I do agree with you in in the sense of like I, I don't necessarily feel the the danger yet. Like you felt it building during the uh, the Infinity Saga. Here, mm-hmm. they've got more work to do still, and, and they're a full second phase in. Well, go, going well, back to Loki, when they open the drawer and show the Infinity <laughs> Stones, and you're like, and like, yeah, no big deal. We use them as paperweights. I'm like, oh, you know what that just did? It just diminished everything before that, and said how, you know, it's just a, a, a ant on the back of a of a, a dinosaur. You know, there's gotcha. it's what does it matter? Like, where where does the weight now? Why am I supposed to care when you just told me that, you know, those coveted stones are, are pretty much valueless? So you know, when it, when you look at the the way the TV shows factor in. I mean, there's so much. Uh, well, actually, let me go back to what Miles was saying about exposition. I think they need the exposition because you're you're trying to make something feel bigger, and by it, and you have to keep on it re- reinforcing why it's such a big deal. And sure. where where you have a big bad like Thanos, and he has a a goal, you know, once he's introduced and you actually get to hear uh, who he is and and what he's why he's there. Um, it's it makes sense. You can yeah. connect with that. Right now, how am I supposed to connect with you're destroying alternate universes that I never saw, don't know? It's like, you know, it's it's hard to to really have feel the weight of that. And also, I want to say one thing. Uh, also, with Phase Four, uh, I think No Way Home did a really good job in telling the, a similar story in a. Yeah, obviously smaller, you know, in, in one film that people connected with, and you and you did have the multiverses, and you did create this, you know, had this really cool, um, 
you know, kind of epic story in two and a half hours that felt important and you connected with these mm-hmm. characters. And I think that's the struggle right now is like, does Doctor Strange uh, in the Multiverse of Madness feel connected to this film in any way, shape or form besides, you know, the post credit scenes that tell you there's, well, some kind of connection and, you know, it's like the. I, I think honestly, the one of the things I used to love were the post-credit scenes, but now they're doing too much heavy lifting. So I think these are good uh, credit scenes, but I think they are, like you said, they they are doing lifting as opposed to like teasing. Yeah, they're you, and also they're they're getting more and more inside baseball. Mm-hmm. True. With like, well, it's it's going to be interesting to see how audiences react to this character because. He Kang. doesn't operate. Well, yeah. the Kangs of it all, because there, there doesn't. It, it doesn't work the same way as Thanos, where there's one guy, there's one objective. It's, it's very it's almost like an idea. It's straightforward yeah. to parse. Here, he, yeah, he's a bit more conceptual. It's a bit more like, and also, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into spoilers. I, I guess should. it's. A, um, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, spoiler alert coming, guys. Very spoiler, spoiler alert coming. Okay, so for the post credits of this one, it I'll be interested to see because they could go in one of two directions because it's left a little ambiguous whether the Kang that we spend this movie is, with dies or not. They say he does, but the scene where he gets like sucked into the thing or whatever had like a lot of Red Skull vibes oh. for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it 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 very much felt like less like we're killing him and more like we're putting him in a drawer until later. I mean, they have the ability to because they they can so easily move to, well, if you thought that guy was bad. Well, and I think was, that's what the implication yeah. is. But at the same time, I'm pr- by the time you get to the end of the movie, I'm interested in this specific version that we got to see. And I think he's got some interesting elements. Mm-hmm. At, whereas you've got the Council of Kangs at the end and you really get the sense, like Jonathan Majors is a terrific actor and I have no doubt that he's going to be doing a lot of that heavy lifting we talked about for the next few movies. But um, you get the sense that almost like an SNL sketch, they kind of just threw him in a room and were like, all right, these are your three characters. Come up with three distinct voices. Go. Yeah, yeah. That that, that scene (laughs) There's there's a little bit of like, uh, uh, am I supposed to be excited about like a robot and a pharaoh and a guy that looks like a reject from Big Trouble in Little China? He's like... I I, I just spent the movie getting to know this Kang. Is is, is this not the guy? It felt like um, pre-Josh Roland... Thanos, where you're like, okay, you just you just want a baseline, and, and you're gonna right. Well, because Thanos, soon. like Thanos in the first Guardians movie, isn't really anything. Like you no, don't, he's a big dude. No, he's just he shows up, he makes some idle threats, and then you never see him for like six movies. Like it's not, you and don't really like, think I'll, about him. Here, you don't it's see different it until because I'll do it myself, right? Is that the next time you see no, him? Um, yeah, that's like a movie or two down the line, but then you don't see him again till like Infinity War, basically. Well, yeah, you see, you, there's Avengers, right? Where it's like... It's Avengers, oh, Guardians, Ultron, Avengers. Yeah, Ultron uh, is the one I always forget about. Going yeah, into what? spoilers again real quick, I was kind of hoping, you know, along the lines of what you're saying, that there was going to be this big, you know, kind of uh, 180 where you're thinking, you know where it's going. And, and then it turns out that he is the ultimate and it becomes, he becomes the big bad and he takes all, you know, all those alternate 
you know, variants of himself and says, you know what? Nope, I'm I'm the king of this castle. Instead, and I think it could definitely still yeah. go that way. It could, I but think I'm there's like, absolutely like, room for that because they they need to focus it. But they need to tighten. It's just they need to be, tighten up. You know? Yeah, well, because if it just becomes a team of like twenty Avengers, each fighting against a different Kang, there there's a limit on how interesting that yeah. can be. They we we need to. Because you don't just want to turn all the other Kangs into cannon fodder, because then that's just another generic army, except now you gotta pay a little more to have Jonathan Majors emote every time he, they get punched. My fear is... That's closer is, to what uh, Kang Dynasty might be. Uh, Secret Wars will be different, obviously, but I think yeah. Kang Dynasty might be the, like, it's just, it's impossible to beat Kang. And they, yeah. they, they're gonna spend time, like, exploring that. My fear is that if you look at phases one through three, excuse me, one through three, that was your first chapter. And this is the second chapter and it's suffering from a lot of sequelitis. Um, You know, going back to the older sequels that we used to have, you know, where they bring back characters, they make, you know, they take the ones that you thought were fun and they, they run them into the ground and they try to be bigger and better. And by doing so, it just becomes too much. And I think, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping they can course correct it. You know, it's not, again, these are all individually, they're a hell of a lot of fun. But yeah, yeah, listen, I thought what they did not... in the first 12 film or first, not 12 films, was it? The first, uh, it, it's whatever, not, 20 films. It's not it was that amazing. the movie's not good. It's that they we've seen how they can make great movies. Yeah. And, and we keep and, getting told, well, wait till we'll just wait it out. And I'm like, wait a second. Well, this has to all come together. And you've now had like eight TV shows and uh, and uh, like another 10 films to do yeah, this like with. There's, there, like, there's stuff in this movie. Like I, I, I really like the Rick and Morty of it all. The, the That guy looks like he's broccoli. Mm-hmm. And then the, the holes blob. Like that's the most Rick and Morty thing in this. And I've seen in something that's not Rick and Morty. That like block. Well, and like, like how many the, holes uh, do you have? The build the buildings that are sentient and is like yeah. the buildings are alive, yours aren't. <laughs> it's very interesting that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Michael Waldron, right? Who's also doing Secret Wars, I wanna say. Yeah. And this I is so. um Jeff Loveless who does this and is doing uh Kang Dynasty. So they, they and they're both um I know um one of them won an Emmy. For Rick and Morty, but they're both Rick and Morty like former yeah. writers. So it's well, and Jessica Ga- Jessica Gao, who did She Hulk, she did the Pickle Rick episode. Exactly, and um, I don't remember if it was Michael or Jeff. One of them did the Toilet episode. Yeah, yeah one of them. One I of think them uh, like, Michael. Yeah, I don't. Re- Jeff Loveness. Oh, Jeff Loveness did the Vat of Acid episode. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they are like top tier Rick and Morty episodes. So it is interesting that they're pulling from a a very specific sensibility. I think in a way it doesn't serve. The thing that Steve's talking about with the larger like phase of it all, that that seems like that's more of like central casting, like Kevin Feige's handling that, and sort of the the idiosyncrasies are, of of the films are getting a little more broad. You're not get, you're not gonna get a Thor: The Dark World anymore. You're not right. probably gonna get a Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, I think, to some degree, was a victim of how long they've been like thinking about that movie. Like, look at the Marvels is doing. The Marvels is already like a very different looking and feeling movie just by the little bit we've gotten of it. But when you look at the, like some of the, some of the stuff in phase four, WandaVision, uh, Miss Marvel, 
Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. If you take, if you just just ditch the the post, well, the one post credit scene, and make it more self contained, um, you know, even Hawkeye too. There's and Shang Chi. There's there's a lot of great stuff out there. It's just yeah. I think the fact that they're they're straining to connect this, straining to Thanos was a big bad who's like, I'm going to destroy you. You have to fight me. This is well, a they, much they bigger rightly... concept. They rightly decided that they can't just pick a bigger human or a bigger monster. Right, or a bigger like man. It, just going Galactus or something would feel lazy by comparison. I think Galactus might be the next one once Could they've established be. everything. But you don't just want a bigger guy. Yeah, no. I think I think the the options were to figure out how they if they wanted Doctor Doom to go very very cerebral with it, but I think their plans for Doctor Doom are different. I think they're much more likely to use him as a single movie villain and then slowly expand and decide how he's going to factor into the world because he does factor into so many of the various heroes. But I get what they're doing here. I just don't know what the secret sauce is yet. And I I trust that they'll get there. Um, It just may not be until late in the game. And that's a little... Not for us. One thing thing that should be brought up that um, has kind of thrown them off sort of phase four onwards is that you know, as with everything else in Hollywood, they were affected by COVID too. They sure. took they took a year and a half off that originally they did not plan to take. And what ended up happening, which, you know, the entire entertainment industry is panicking in 2021 because nobody knew when things were going to go back to normal, quote unquote. So I think what ended up happening is you've got three to four years worth of content that ended up getting crammed into two years yeah, just be, just by virtue of like these three shows were supposed to already be out, and we've got three more like that were are ready to go for this year. Like, so let's just put all six of them out, and suddenly you're like drowning in content. And for and at first when you because I think we all remember the hype of the early days of like Wandavision and Loki and so on. Sure. Um, yeah. I think we're it was doing easier. Well, exactly. When I think it was easier to get invested at the time, because A, at that point, there was still mostly familiar characters, and B, we'd had a year and a half off after the high that was Endgame and then Far From Home to a lesser extent. So I think you've got that pause that we hadn't had for a while, and then suddenly you've got two years worth of just like wall-to-wall everything, and it's just too much, especially for a phase that ultimately is a setup. Be- it's all set up and it's all clearly yeah. i think it's a lot of stuff that will eventually pay off either on a character or a plot standpoint but it can't help but feel a little repetitive just because of how sure. closely packed together oh. some of the stories are so like some of the emotional beats of like you know dealing with life after the blip or you know uh what are heroes now or stuff like that like it, can't help but repeat and ripple throughout the different oh, yeah. things but think, it wouldn't have felt so egregious if they'd been spread out the way they were originally intended to be yeah and as we uh wrap up on this we'll come back to it obviously there's more marvel stuff to come but for example like when guardians comes out that's not going to do a lot of uh kang heavy lifting i would that assume is, not that will at best at most not best be a um credit sequence I think I think they. Like I, I think not way. even. I think the Marvels might lean into something like the that. Marvels, but I think Guardians no. Three is going to be completely isolated. We'll see. Just because just because it's 
emotional yeah it's kind of a wakanda forever situation to a lesser degree in that they know it's going to be a big emotional resolution to these particular characters and i don't think if they do any setups for future things it'll be still within the somewhat insulated guardian side of things rather than stuff that has nothing to do with them totally and i've had that song in my head since the trailer came out so yeah thanks thanks james gunn um before we wrap up because we did not go short we haven't gone as long as we normally do but it became an average length episode um, quickly, let's check in on the walking on the, the walking. Last of us. Um, <laughs> the walking fungus. The walking fungus. Um, we just watched episode six. Steve is ahead of us. Steve finally finished the game, so we I can, did. We'll still talk around things, but we don't have to be as vague as we used to be. Um, I'm curious. I put up a poll. What's everyone's favorite episode so far? Because I saw a lot of episode six rivaling episode three, and episode five rivaling episode three. I think. I think. Three, four, uh, three, five, and six have kind of been the highlights, right? Give or take episode one, which is like, oh shit, they're doing it. Uh, yeah, I would say it was five for me, just because that's had the best balance of all the different yeah. things that I've liked in the show. It's got some action, it's got some emotion, it's got stuff that feels ripped right from the games, it's got stuff that's interesting and new. It's just got a bit of everything. It's got Melanie Linsky. Save, save, yep. save the ranking, because that's when you say your name where to be followed. I figured out that's what we'll do rank your rank the six episodes so far so keep that in mind but yes this most recent episode continues i think what you're talking about which is a very healthy balance of new stuff game stuff and playing with the themes while also raising the stakes and telling the story so one very interesting game thing that this week's episode did uh which you know joe and i will especially know because we played the second game is that it borrows a couple of ideas from the second game that were not yep. there at this point, uh, including a blink and you miss it cameo from what I suspect is one very particular character from the second game. and uh, But also, that town is much further along than it was at that point in the game. So we're getting a really great sort of early look because thanks to part two, we know what that eventually becomes. And so it's really great to sort of see this in-development version of it. Yes. Um, the episode was great, without question. But yeah, I think I think five and six has been the best one-two punch. And I think three is still the best individual episode, even though it's different than uh, what we're doing with the rest of the show. You know, very notably. But uh, You know one thing I'm, I'm disappointed about, and I was, it, it only lasted two episodes, the the cold opens. I was hoping every episode would have that that cold yeah. open. Yeah, well, the first two are so good that oh. you want a little more. I think yeah. they almost figured out, like, we can't possibly keep that up. Yeah. One more would be nice. Come on. I would have liked, yeah, would have, I mean, I guess three is such a different episode, but I, I do kind of like the idea. Um, so what do we, we have three more episodes, right? Yep, we're two thirds. Yep. That's wild. Um, Steve is one episode away from finishing, I believe. Yes, I've yeah, seen he's gonna, eight. Are you waiting and going to watch the last one with us? Uh, correct. That's what Excellent. I'm doing. I'm going to watch um, it with America. All right. Well, as we uh, close out, before we do our thing, Steve, I want you now to talk about the game. You finished the game. Tell me what you thought of the game. I mean, I absolutely love the game. Um, I mean... Imagine if he was like, actually, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, we, we'd spoken so much about how the end of the game is, is one of the all-time, like, movie uh, games as as story endings i was curious if it lived up to the hype and it seems like it did oh yeah i mean i think from from minute one in that game well you know minute say 30 into that game um 
I was wrapped up in it in a way that I've never been with a, a video game. I, you know, I think the the characters, the acting, there's so much of it, and it was before I had seen the series, so I didn't have any. Um, none of the lifting was done by the series at all. It was all done by what I was playing, and I was just really enjoying it, and I was hoping it could maintain it. And I think in the middle, you know, there's there's some times where you go, all right, you know, how much, how long do I have to walk and and so on and so forth. But they do a great job throwing in the the uh, some of the conversations in there that you know give you the uh, some character depth. Uh, you know the whole all the stuff with the jokes and and finding out who you know kind of seeing Ellie as not just a sidekick and someone who's there with you but you know the the, the uh, you get to see who she is as, as a young kid and, and learn who she is and the relationship that bond grows and I like I was surprised how emotional it, it all becomes uh, as a whole yes. but how much I actually cared about them uh, in, in a video game when like, damn it, that's strange. And, uh, and bravo to those who made it. And, uh, I'm excited to see how this, the film, or I'm sorry, how the series wraps up yes. and how, how true to it stays. Um, but it's, I, I, I can't wait to play more. I can't wait to watch more. You know, Did it's, you, it's, um, it's really now imagine when you play part two. Yeah, I know. I know that my concern. Am I? I'm like, can I play part two now, or do I? Should I wait? I don't know if Wait, I can hold you, off. Uh, did you get it? Two? Did you buy it? Yeah. No, not yet. No. Oh, um, I, I this is only applicable to you. But if you go on Walmart.com right now, it's ten bucks. It's like fifty bucks everywhere else. Oh, all right. Well, I'll buy it right now. It might be a day. It might be a, like today's only uh, yeah thing. But you should you should get it. Like, well, because I can't. I don't I know if I can hold off figure out playing it, you know. I, I mean, can't... You, I, and you should play it before the season two comes out, for sure. Yeah, but I kind of liked to, to like doing it with along with the series. It was great. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you could also buy it and not open it. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't see it. Oh, wait, there it is. Hey. Uh, there you go. Save you some money. Um, Papa. Yeah, so let's wrap up now and uh, rank these six episodes. So, Miles, while Steve makes purchase, why don't you start us off? All right. Well, you can find me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. You can also find me on Instagram at Marvelous Miles. Um, and you can find my short films Once Upon an Exorcist. No. What are Once my short films called? American <laughs> Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. Upon a Dracula. It's late. Uh, on uh, Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. Ranking the six episodes. All right, let's go. I would say five, three, four, one, uh, six, two. All right. Steve, you ready? I am ready. Um, you okay. can find me at Twitter and Letterboxd at Filmsnork. Also, make sure you give a listen to The Verse. Uh, you can find that on the Words Radar. We discussed The Last of Us and uh, a whole bunch of other good shit. And that's about it. I'm glad to be back. Not as awake as I'd like to be, but I'm back. Right. Let's go over my numbers. It's yeah. tough. I, I, I'm I thinking five again. I, I think five is the episode you watch with anybody who's not sure if they want to watch the series and tie them in because the action's there, the drama's there. It's, it's got it's everything you love about about the game. Yeah. in one episode um 
three. Did you see that part before playing the game, or you just finished that part when you watched that episode? I had. I oh yeah, I'd, I'd seen it before. Okay, because I was curious uh, when you meet the characters in the game if you already knew what was happening. If it was like, oh no, I'm going to interact with that now. Yeah, I no, I I saw it first. I mean, I, I played it. I played it first. That's what I'm okay. Um, so five, three, six, one, four, two. I guess. Okay. There's not a bad one in the bunch, though. So no, no, a, no. There's not. It almost feels weird to tell you what the, the worst of it is because it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, you can find me, Joey Maggots, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all that stuff. Awards radars on several things. I'm gonna go three, five, six, one, two, four. Yeah. Three again. It, if four is the worst one for me, that's pretty great. It's hard not to put three number one, but I'm thinking is is like as I said, five I'm encapsulates just, just so much of what eight. eight or nine. Like I feel like I'm just saving space for those. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, nine. I, mean, I think in particular is gonna be fucking devastating. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, oh, the I can't when Steve starts playing two. Like, oh, we'll uh, wait. We'll wait a few years to talk about it on the podcast. But yeah, that's true. That uh, is true. It's in my cart right now. So excellent. All right. Well, we will be back next week. We'll be talking about what happened at the guilds. We'll be uh, recapping next episode of Last of Us. We're we'll talking about uh, Cocaine Bear and more. So uh, be sure to be back. And we might have a guest coming up soon. I'll tell uh, Miles and Steve about that off air because I did not mention that before we started. But uh, for now, relax. We'll see you at the movies. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.